If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Sanjit Biswas, the co-founder and CEO of Samsara, which makes it easier and more affordable for businesses that depend on physical operations to harness the IoT, Internet of Things, data to develop actionable business insights and improve their operations. Samsara operates in North America and Europe and serves more than 20,000 customers across a wide range of industries. Samsara has raised over $930 million in venture capital from injuries in Horowitz, General Catalyst, Dragoneer, Tiger Global, Global and others. The company has over 1,400 employees and was recognized by Forbes as one of the best startup employers. Prior to Samsara, Sanjit was the CEO and co-founder of Meraki, one of the most successful networking companies of the past decade. Sanjit grew Meraki from his PhD research into a complete enterprise networking portfolio with cloud-based management that revolutionized the deployment of large networks. In 2012, Cisco acquired Meraki for $1.2 billion. Sanjay has been recognized as a TR35 honoree by MIT Technology Review, a technology pioneer by the World Economic Forum, and has received awards for academic research and computer networking. He holds a BS in computer systems engineering from Stanford and an SM in electrical engineering and computer science from MIT. Let's welcome Sanjit. Hi, Sanjit. Welcome. I'm thrilled to have you. First things first, what's Samsara in your own words for people who maybe haven't heard of the business yet? You know, in, in my own words, Samsara is a cloud platform for the world of operations. So we do a little bit of everything. We have hardware products that help get data into the cloud. We have software tools for our customers to kind of see their operations all in one place. We have apps to make it easy to collect data. And the idea is we want to make it just simpler to run this world of operations that powers our economy using a modern approach, kind of like what we've gotten used to in the world of consumer and enterprise. We kind of see a similar opportunity in the world of industrial and infrastructure to kind of modernize. And so that's what we're doing at Samsara is building all those pieces to make that happen. Let's step back. Samsara is sitting at the intersection of a number of major industries, truly the internet of things, data management. In the simplest terms, just for anybody out there, give us a sense of what Samsara is doing. Where does it live? What does it look like? And how do people interact with it? You know, I think it's helpful. This is a, a set of industries and in part of the world that not a lot of people see. So if you think about how food gets into the grocery store or how the electric utilities run, there's just a kind of massive set of operations, people kind of running around behind the scenes to help make that happen. So what we're really trying to do is help improve the safety of those operations, improve the efficiency, and also the sustainability. If you think about how much fuel all these trucks driving around consume, it's actually pretty massive. So what we do is we, as I said, kind of make all these different building blocks or pieces. So for example, on the hardware side, when you think about the internet of things, it really becomes much more compelling when you can pull data into the cloud. So we have products like GPS trackers and uh, driver safety cameras and asset trackers that get that info into the cloud. And then we make kind of all the software workflows and tools to help our customers kind of operate 
in a really easy kind of intuitive sort of way. So Seamstar is your second company that you built with your co-founder, John Bickett. I want to just come back to what you learned from your first company. And then what was the sort of moment when you said, all right, let's go do this again together. Tell us a little bit about those early days. You know, John and I have actually been working together for a pretty long time. We met almost 20 years ago as PhD students at MIT. We didn't know we wanted to build companies. We just wanted to build technology. We wanted to build stuff. Our first company, Meraki, was really a sort of outgrowth of that PhD research we were doing. We were basically making it easy to build big wireless networks. And um, that was sort of our foray into the world of startups. We'd never built a business before. We'd never sold product before. So there's just a lot of learnings about setting up an organization. Um, I think when, um, and, and that company ended up doing pretty well. We kind of got off the ground. Uh, we were bootstrapped in the early days. We learned how to raise venture capital, got to some pretty significant revenue. And then Meraki was acquired by Cisco in about 2012 uh, for a little over a billion dollars. So that was an exciting moment for us because uh, not only was it an exit for the company, but more importantly, it was a way to see even faster, greater scale. And so we got to see the revenues of Meraki grow into the billions. And that's been really exciting to see. So in terms of what we kind of took and uh, took away from those experiences and learned, I think there's the nuts and bolts of how you build a company. And I think every entrepreneur has to go figure out how do you incorporate, how do you get your first uh, you know, office lease. But more importantly, I think we learned the importance of culture. So as you build an organization, it becomes more than just yourselves. You're actually hiring people and they're hiring people. So you need to make sure there's kind of a shared code that everyone follows. We learned the importance of kind of building products for the long term. It was really neat to see our customers grow with us. There are customers of Meraki I'm still in touch with who signed up with Meraki, I don't know, 15 plus years ago. And so getting to see some ideas through over such a long period of time. And then, you know, more than anything, I think it's the importance of that kind of long term thinking and uh, whether it's technology or people, just sort of this idea that what you're building is really an asset. And uh, it's not an overnight sort of journey. It's something that takes years. And if you do it well, it can be really fulfilling. So anyway, that was a lot of what motivated us to do this again. Startups are a lot of work, but um, it's fun to build something really great. Before I go more into Samsara and what you're doing for your customers, I want to just take a minute. So you and John have known each other for 20 years. What is the benefit of knowing somebody that long and then building a business with them? And again, you're back on kind of round two here. Mm -hmm. What do you think that does to help you guys be more successful? More than anything else, you just get to know someone really well when you see them over such a long period of time. And we've kind of grown up together at this point. So there's just a lot of trust that's built up. You also understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, so you can divide and conquer. John is amazing at building technology. He still writes code. He's got his hands in the details. I spend more of my time on the business side and kind of helping build the organization. And so we've kind of always operated that way, even going back to grad school. I think now we can sort of articulate those uh, strengths a little bit better. And we don't even have to say like, who's going to do what? It's almost just assumed. So I think more than anything else, it's just that shared trust and understanding that develops over a long period of time. Okay. So now let's come back to Samsara. You've 20,000 customers, and then I'm sure that number is even outdated across <laughs> North America and Europe. Some of your customers literally span from AB InBev to the city of Boston. Can you just give an example of what you do for a customer? What do you unlock for your customers? What, what does that look like? Sure. So maybe we can use AB InBev as an example. Most people are familiar with Anheuser-Busch just in terms of being the big beer company, at least here in North America. And so if you think about their operations, they move a lot of products. So they have production facilities where they make the beer. And then, of course, they're moving it through their channels to their distributors, and in many cases, retail locations and outlets. They have thousands of these trucks 
So for them, the big kind of challenge that they're faced with is making sure they're doing it safely. They're driving millions of miles, so they need to make sure that they're doing the best job they can to keep their drivers safe and keep the roads safe. So that's kind of the core of their operational challenge. They also want to make sure they're doing it efficiently. If you think about how many routes they have to drive and the traffic interruptions and weather patterns and things like that, having data about what's going on in the world really changes what AB InBev can do in terms of their operating efficiency. So those are probably the two big drivers. And then probably number three would be around optimizing fuel spend. If you think about the gallons of gasoline and now diesel has gotten even more expensive, I think it's close to $4 here in California. It's a huge operating expense. It's also a huge kind of source of carbon emissions. So they're interested in all three of those areas. And what they do with Samsara is they get full visibility into what's going on, not just in one city or one state, but across the entire country. And they can look at all the historical data too. So when they want to kind of do a quarterly review or an annual review, see how the trends are going, they can really start to see some pretty neat insights and help improve their operations using us as a tool. So that's kind of what they can do now that they couldn't do before. What was the aha moment where you're like, oh, wow, we can go build Samsara and we can make this better. Where did that really come from? Well, you know, I think it's it's great that it seems like, you know, this was sort of obvious or something, but it really wasn't. When we got started, it was more of a sense that there was an entire segment of the world economy, this kind of infrastructure industrial set of customers who hadn't seen the new technologies that had been rolling out in enterprise and consumer over the last couple of decades. So if you think about cloud, for example, there are companies like Salesforce that were bringing modern enterprise SaaS tools um, to businesses. Uh, there are, of course, consumer companies like Facebook and Google modernizing uh, the tools that we use as consumers. We weren't seeing a lot of companies or startups, at least, focus on this world of operations. So that's actually where we started. But product-wise, we didn't know it was going to be about uh, driver safety cameras and GPS trackers and workflows. We thought it was going to be about sensors. And so we actually started with a slightly different product, which was a temperature sensor. Um, connected it to the cloud, thought maybe people would want to see alerts and get SMS notifications if something happened. Turns out our first product idea was kind of wrong. Uh, we found that out by trial and error, but um, we ended up finding our way to these applications um, by listening to our customers. So I think more than anything else, that customer feedback loop or relationship has been really, really powerful for us as a company and guided us to the real problems in the industry versus just technology solutions for the sake of technology. What would you say are some of the innovations that you brought to the space that you're most proud of? You're really building this in so many different ways. I think one of the, the stats we were able to pull was that you've unveiled more than 200 features. So how do you think about this sort of building blocks as you build your product roadmap? Yeah, I think the biggest thing has been we have a philosophy that we want to make the products really simple and easy to use. So easy to deploy, plug and play. You can just kind of get up and running in a few minutes. And then also easy for people to use without having to go through a big training course or you know a bunch of user manuals or something like that. So that's kind of the bigger picture philosophy. And then the features, the 200 features that uh, you just mentioned, that's really all about refining the product. So once we get the products into our customers' hands, they give us a lot of feedback. Sometimes they'll tell us, hey, the screen's really bright when we're operating in the middle of the night. Can you put in a dark mode? That happened a couple of years ago. We'll see uh, folks ask us for kind of new features, like could you detect seatbelts using cameras just to help make sure that people are, are driving safe, things like that. So I think more than any single feature, it's really been this philosophy of simplicity and feedback that has made it possible to kind of track the customer's needs at, at such a high speed. 
really, really amazing to think about all of the different embedded nodes that you have and everything that you can bring to the logistics space. Can you talk about one or two of the sort of features or things that you guys built that you were most excited about early days that customers really, really gravitated towards? Yeah, you know, on the sort of note about cameras, you know, cameras are pretty new technology. It wouldn't have made sense to have like a, you know, VHS recorder 25 years ago in every truck, right? Like it wouldn't have been technically possible or feasible. You also didn't have a cellular network that could get data back into a cloud. Um, so this is something that's really only been possible for maybe five years or maybe 10 years if you stretch it. And then there's another sort of new set of capabilities, which is around AI. So this idea that you could detect you know, whether someone's wearing a seatbelt or maybe whether they're uh, distracted by a smartphone and help keep them safe. The um, other interesting thing about the camera product is privacy matters a lot. If you're a driver, you don't like the idea of your you know, employer kind of looking at footage of you. So these technology innovations that I just mentioned, whether it's cellular networks or camera tech or AI, actually enable a way to preserve privacy while doing this. You can run these AI techniques down in the camera and just beep and alert the driver to try to help improve their behavior. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a wake up call to, hey, put down the phone, You know, it's not safe for you either kind of thing. And uh, that's something I'm really proud of, which is deploying these new technologies in a way that's, that's kind of good for everyone in the ecosystem, keeps people on the road safe, but also keeps the drivers safe and um, often you know, accidents happen, right? And oftentimes it's not the driver's fault and they're able to use the dash cams to exonerate themselves, to be able to prove that, hey, I got cut off and I, I did everything that I could. I swerved, you know, I hit the brakes hard, that sort of thing. Um, so having that data is really valuable. So in terms of what I'm proud of, it's bringing those technologies into that world of operations, making it easy, improving people's lives and doing it in a way that, that sort of balances utility, but also the privacy uh, with these kind of new pieces of technology. One thing that I am fascinated by is you sit here, you have such a unique perch as you think through the next decade. If you had to predict in the next decade, a handful of things, you can tell us any of your predictions, <laughs> what is obvious to you given your perch at Simsara of what the world's gonna look like in a decade um, that maybe isn't obvious to all of us as listeners? We do see some interesting trends. You know, I mentioned some of the, the kind of building blocks for technologies around GPS trackers and cameras. I think we're still just scratching the surface in terms of digitizing operations. So if you go and spend time with our customers, they might have a GPS tracker on their truck, but what about all the tools, right, that they use that sometimes get left on sites and may cost hundreds or thousands of dollars? What about all the assets? So if you think about some of our customers in the electric utility space, they're going and maintaining these big transformers or underground conduits, things like that. Could you put sensors on those and have them report up to the cloud in terms of their health, if they're overheating, there's a water leak, that sort of thing. And then similarly, in terms of apps, there's still a lot of manual process in terms of how these field services operate. They're out kind of going and seeing, okay, where's the entrance? How's, how do I get into the site? Who do I talk to about getting access, that sort of thing? Could you streamline a lot of that by having notes on a smartphone? It sounds really simple, but doesn't really exist today. So I think you're going to see a lot of these processes get easier. And I think you're going to see a lot of uh, this infrastructure out in the field become intelligent, where it reports to the cloud proactively. So no one has to go and wait for something to break. The you know systems will report the data in and AI will help figure out, okay, this is kind of out of spec or this is an anomaly. Someone should go take a look at it and, and drive out to go check on it. So as you think through a decade out, what do you think the biggest opportunities are? And then what do you think are the biggest risks? So let's start with the opportunities. 
What do you think is just the obvious opportunity sitting in front of you? Well, first of all, a decade's a pretty long time. I, I think even if we look five years out, I think you know so much of this infrastructure, uh, whether it's supply chains or energy utilities and so on, um, it's still just untouched by these modern cloud technologies. So I think you're going to see a lot more penetration. So technologies that exist today, going from you know ten or twenty percent deployed to eighty percent deployed, so just a four xing uh, in terms of the installed footprint, um, and I think that's going to create even more value because once you have more data in the cloud, you can see more patterns, you can become more efficient, you can drive those safety outcomes. So I think a lot of that is still just kind of at the surface right now and is going to really roll out in a massive way. And this reminds me of kind of online shopping, right? Online shopping has been around for probably what, two decades now, uh, but now yep. it's really sort of, you know, gone mainstream, right? Everyone's ordering groceries online and clothes and so on. So that's the kind of transformation I think we'll see in operations where it'll go from sort of niche where certain high tech companies have adopted these practices to really mainstream where everyone, the landscapers, the plumbers, the pest control companies will all be connected into the cloud. Um, so that's, I think, an incredible opportunity. And I think we're going to see new apps emerge that maybe we haven't even imagined yet that we'll just have to wait and see. But overall, that's kind of the feeling that I have. It's a sort of big wave of digitization that's about to sweep through. What are the risks of that? So like, again, from your unique perch, what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things you worry about that you feel like you need to do very well as we're laying this foundation ahead of us for the next five to 10 years? Well, um, I touched on it briefly, but I think uh, there's one key area that has to be figured out, which is privacy. So you need to make sure that all of this data, it's handled in a privacy preserving sort of way. We respect the boundaries that employees have. Uh, we work with folks like unions to understand what, what's okay and what's not, and then come up with processes and policies that really work for everyone. So that's a big part. That's very doable. It just needs to be a front of mind conversation and the technology needs to be built uh, with privacy in mind. So that's a big piece of it. I think cybersecurity is the other one. Uh, we're hearing about these big breaches. We're still kind of figuring out, I think as an industry, what are the best practices here? How do you keep all of this infrastructure safe? When we build our products, we, we take both privacy and security very seriously for that reason, which is to just go understand, survey the entire landscape of companies and say, well, what is Zoom doing to go make video conferencing uh, safe? What are IoT companies in consumer doing? What's Apple doing, for example, um, with kind of their newest products like their AirTags? What can we learn from those companies? So. Um, I think this is an industry-wide discussion, but um, it, it is a set of risks that everyone needs to take seriously. But it also feels like something that if everyone uh, kind of is mindful about it, we have a shot at, at doing a good job with both privacy and security. Sanjay, you have 1,400 employees, over 20,000 customers. And I think one of the wild things, so you sold your last business for $1.2 billion to Cisco in 2012. And to date, you've raised nearly a billion dollars in capital. What do you make of that? How do you think about that? Are you are you where you always expected to be? Was there one piece of advice that helped you get here? Um, how would you think about that? I, I don't think I expected to be here at all, uh, to be honest. I started <laughs> out, um, as I mentioned, in, in a grad program. Uh, it's a really awesome kind of pleasant surprise that is just how life's kind of worked out for us. What, what I love doing is building things. Um, for me, it's really fulfilling to build products, help solve problems, see people use them, especially out in the real world. That, that just brings me a, a great sense of fulfillment. So the idea that we get to keep doing it and it wasn't just limited to one company or one product line is, is really awesome. Um, and it's something that I hope we get to keep doing, not just for the next couple of years, but for the next couple of decades. So 
I'm really excited about that. I, I like it. And then my last question for you on, on Samsar and the business is, how has COVID changed your strategy, your business in any way? Well, I think about it from the customer's perspective. So a lot of our customers were adopting technologies like ours, but actually accelerated through COVID because they couldn't you know, go visit their remote sites, for example. So they started using more cloud or digital tools to see what was going on in their operations. I think that's a sort of acceleration that's not going to decelerate all of a sudden. Folks are seeing how useful those tools are. So that's something that we've seen with our customers is more digital adoption, people using not just more of our IoT hardware products, but more of our apps and more of our APIs, integrating us into more digital systems. So that's been a pretty interesting trend to notice. I think for us as a company, um, we were a pretty office-centric company to begin with. We had a few remote employees in our field sales teams and so on, but we were really kind of clustered around our major hubs. Uh, we're now seeing a lot more employees who are super productive in this remote world that we've been in. And so as we kind of come back, we're thinking about how can we as a company embrace hybrid for the folks who want to come in. That's probably about two thirds of our company. And then for the third of people who are really happy working remotely, how do we make them productive and keep them integrated and, and sort of engaged as much as possible? So I would say, you know, we're probably no different than most of the other companies you talk to in terms of figuring out the world of work post COVID, but it's actually been a positive where I think people are even more productive now than they were before. And they have a little bit more time because they're not spending as much time commuting. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on For Starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to switch gears to you, Sanjit. One of my favorite facts about you, which is when you were 15, you became the youngest computer engineer um, ever employed by Oracle. What was it like? Well, how I ended up there is actually uh, kind of funny in a literal sense. I remember I didn't have a driver's license because I was 15. So I had to uh, have my mom drop me off, which was a little bit embarrassing, but kind of funny to think about now. Uh, and then eventually, <laughs> you know, after my first week, I made some friends that managed to, you know, line up a carpool kind of opportunity. So, yeah, it, it, it was a long time ago now that uh, I was a 15 year old intern, but I learned a lot in that process, just like what what a company does. It's really all, it, it's, it's funny to think about now, but when you're 15, you see these brands, Oracle obviously was a very big company even back then. Uh, it was just a tremendous learning opportunity to kind of open your eyes and see what a company looks like from the inside. So anyway, it does kind of take me back uh, when you mentioned Oracle to figuring out how do I get to and from work? I want to switch gears a little bit, which is when did you know you wanted to be a founder? I think one of the really fascinating things that you said on this podcast already was that you were all set to go and become a professor. A professor and a founder, an entrepreneur, there, there's a lot of differences there. How is that switch? Was it obvious to you? Tell us a little bit about what that felt like. Well, um, you know, in the very early days of our first company, Meraki, um, we kind of thought of it more as a project than a company. So uh, myself and John, and then a few of our friends from our research lab, we basically wanted to go see our research have impact. And so we found a way to get a product made as a vehicle really to, to get that 
kind of technical work out into the field. In the very, very beginning, we weren't thinking so much about being company founders and we weren't even raising capital. We were just trying to figure out how do you solve this problem of taking our tech and getting it out into the real world? And then I think about six months in, we found that there was actually a lot of interest, a lot of pull from the world to see, you know, Wi-Fi get out there. Um, and that's when we got really serious about building it as a company. Um, how do you set the structures up? How do you hire people and so on? So I think, you know, it was really a shift that occurred a few months into it. But uh, in some sense, it was probably good for us because if you really thought of it just as going from being an academic to being a founder, it probably would have been pretty anxiety inducing, but it happened almost in a set of waves. And so we, we sort of fell into it and then realized that this was really fun because you could have impact very quickly. You could move fast in general. You could build a team that's much bigger than a research team that you could build in academia. So there were a lot of positives that we got to see firsthand as opposed to reading about it on a blog post or something like that. What would you say were the biggest things that you brought with you to Samsara post-Meraki? I think there were probably three. First, we touched on a little bit earlier, but this idea of a customer feedback loop, it's a really powerful tool. Um, I think number two we talked about was culture. Um, and just as you scale an organization, as you go from a handful of people to dozens to hundreds to even thousands, having this kind of shared way of doing things and shared set of values is really important. We were very lucky at Meraki. We started with a great group of people that emerged organically. With Samsara, we wanted to be very deliberate uh, because we knew how important culture was. And then the third is, um, I think, the importance of long-term thinking. Because as a startup, you are thinking about, well, how do you get to that near-term goal, right? How do you hit the revenue goal, the hiring target, or you know, geographic expansion? But it's also important to zoom out and say, well, where is this kind of going big picture? Are we part of the right trends? Are we really fundamentally helping our customers in ways that they're really excited about? And if so, you have a path to you know, grow 10x or 100x. What have you learned about yourself that are the things you swear by? And is it sleep? Is it meditation? Is it exercise? Is it that you, you know, wear a whoop or a Fitbit? What are the things that you must do as a, as a human, Sandra, to stay sane through all of this? You know, I think I'm still figuring it out along with everyone else. But for me, I had an insight in the very early days of Meraki when we were working really long hours that there was kind of this endless list of work that you as a founder or a CEO could do right? There was always more work to be done, in other words. So at some point, you had to turn it off and, and take some time for yourself. And I would say with the first startup, I still worked, I don't know, 60 plus hours a week, um, was young, uh, recently married, no kids kind of thing. And so uh, we were just had the right life dynamic to enable that. Uh, with this company, we're a little bit older, our, uh, uh, both John and myself, we both have kids. Um, so there's just a lot more pulls on our time. So the biggest thing that I've learned is to be deliberate with time. That's this scarce resource to kind of plan it out, allocate it wisely. I, I actually go and look back at my calendar to see where I spent time. Did I spend enough time with customers, for example? Uh, did I spend enough time kind of just hanging out with people in the company? Um, so more than anything else, I think it's time management and also just being willing to turn it off. You're very passionate about culture building and started a leadership training program at Samsara. Um, I would love just to get a sense of what are the most important values that you think are are absolutely critical to instilling in the program? Yeah, the um, leadership program was really sort of born out of necessity. We found it was something that as new managers, even you know, as we were starting our first company, we were always just looking for tips, right? Like, how do you run a meeting? How do you hire people? How do you deal with performance conversations? That sort of thing. So what we've tried to do is just 
take a lot of that knowledge that we've picked up over the years, whether it's from our own experience or from reading in other sources, and just distill it down and, and make it available to our newest managers. So we kind of have it carved up into five or six sessions or lectures or whatever you want to call it. You know, some of the stuff we talked about earlier, whether it's around long-term thinking or having the customer feedback loop and just the importance of building culture just philosophically, that's what we talk about, which is why as managers, does it matter? Why does it result in better outcomes for our customers, for our teams, better employee experience? So those are the sorts of things we talk about, but it, it really does kind of get nuanced because in terms of how you build a product or how you build a sales funnel, it ends up being a little bit different. We're going to quickly transition to a, a quick fire round. I'm going to ask questions you answer quickly. First thing that comes to your mind. Sure. So what's gets you out of bed every morning? Oh, definitely the kids. They are up before I am. <laughs> I was like, is it that six-year-old? Um, what's your favorite interview question that you like to ask over and over again to like really get to the core of who somebody is? I like to ask how they built their teams. What's a book that you return to time and time again? It can be anything. It doesn't have to be an entrepreneurship or leadership book, but a book that you just really love that changed your life. The one that I come back to, though, is not an entrepreneurship book. It's a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And it's, it's not a long read, it's, I don't know, 100 pages or so, but it's more of a Zen Buddhism book. I find that it's really helpful to remind yourself how important it is to have that kind of open beginner's mind. So that's a book that I think I discovered probably as a, in, in a class that I took in college, and it's been on my shelf ever since. And I do come back to it about once a year. What is your biggest pinch me moment so far at Samsara? The thing you just like couldn't believe you guys pulled off. Well, we had a pretty fun trip that we took as a company. Uh, this is pre-pandemic, but we we took the entire company camping. Uh, that was a pinch me moment when we pulled it off. People were having a great time. And, uh, you know, kind of towards that theme of unplugging, it was nice just to be able to hang out with everyone without, you know, a bunch of presentations and, and things like that. We just kind of got to enjoy it, the time as a company. Last question. Uh, Name any product, any startup, anything that over the last year you learned about that we should know about. So name one other company, one other startup, it can be anything that everybody should know about. I'm going to give you a sort of unusual response. It's the opposite end of startup, but I've been digging into Amazon as a company over the last uh, couple of months and learning about how they build so many different products and sort of some of their cultural principles and practices. So um, I don't have a, a great young startup that no one's heard of for you, but um, I, I found personally that unpacking Amazon's massive scale business, uh, whether it's AWS or retail or, or movies or you know all the different things they're in, just the system of how it works, I think there's a lot of lessons there for companies of any size. So that's that's kind of been the startup, if you will, that I've been looking into. First of all, Sanjit, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked out Samsara, you can head to samsara.com and you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Sanjit, thank you for the amazing work that you're doing for all of us. I think we're bystanders of your incredible products. Um, thank you so much and we're all rooting for you. Awesome, thanks Alexa, really appreciate it.